You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. All right, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And now we'll read verses 57 through 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come together, worship you today. Now I ask that you would open our hearts to hear your word and just bless Jeremy as he teaches us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Justin. The score was 20 to 10. Fourth quarter, team with the ball had a third and 15. And it was a big game, the Super Bowl. Third and 15, losing team has the ball. Just a handful of minutes left in the fourth quarter. For all intents and purposes, this is it. Down to the wire. Turns out, quarterback, who didn't have much of a shot, statistically wanted a special play. 2-3, jet chip wasp. 2-3, jet chip wasp. Run the play. Please, give me that play. Coach says, okay. We're going to run 2-3, jet chip wasp. You know, if you're going to run that play, you actually need special offensive line protection because it takes so long to develop. If you understand football and they run a blitz, this ain't going to work. He got the protection he needed. Oh, but if you're going to run 2-3 jet chip wasp, you got a big problem because you got to have a receiver put a move on that defensive back like you haven't ever seen. And the receiver did it. But you know, if you're going to run 2-3 jet chip wasp, you got to get all that right. Plus, you got to have a quarterback who can throw this crazy pass about a mile away. And it all worked to perfection. There in the Super Bowl, 
none other than Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill for a first down. And all the chief fans in that moment went bananas. I swear, while I watched that play in my house, I could hear my neighborhood resounding with joy. It was an incredible moment when everything changed for the Chiefs in quite an unbelievable comeback. The Chiefs go on to score three touchdowns, winning the Super Bowl, and if you want to go back to when everything changed, it was there in Jet Chip Wasp. Super Bowl 54, the Chiefs win 31-20 because of that play. Now, to be fair, when that play got called, the game wasn't over. But it was that play that changed the momentum for everything. The last flickers of hope had not been extinguished. Instead, hope was reignited. And for those of you who are real Chief fans, I mean, I see you here every week in that ketchup and mustard, so I know who you are. Those of you who are real Chief fans, my guess is, my guess is that when that play happened, you didn't have to look over at whoever you were watching the game with and say, now is the time for us to get excited. <laughs> Those of you who are dads, discipling your kids, my guess is you didn't have to pat them on the back and say, now I want you to follow daddy's example as he celebrates the chiefs because this is what a good child does to honor their father and mother. Instead, my guess is it was quite natural. It was uh, guttural. You just see the play happen, and I mean, if it's me, I'm throwing a chair over, and I'm going, okay, we're still in the game. Okay, we've got a chance. Okay, come on, let's go. It's quite reactive and responsive. It's pure bliss is what it looks like from an outsider looking in. Jet Chip Wasp was a wonderful moment when hope turned to gigantic joy, when doubt went to blessing for Mahomes and Reed and Hill and all y'all who love them. Well, this morning in our text, we have what I'd like to propose is a Jet Chip Wasp moment. We're going to see Elizabeth have one of these moments. We're going to see Mary have one of these moments. We're even going to see old crusty Zechariah have one of these moments. And what I want you to get is, in this text, the game isn't over. There's still lots of game left to be played. But here in this text is when the momentum begins to shift, at least as far as Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah care to describe. In our sermon then, I want to show you the momentum shift, the hope that gets ignited, and I hope that you get to see how the response in our text ought to lead us to respond in a parallel fashion. I want to connect all of what's happening in our text and how our characters are responding and show then for us today how we might respond like them. If two, three jet chip wasp got you excited, church, just wait till we get to Luke 1, 
39 to 80. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open up so I can show you from God's word how this scripture is operating and it can hopefully lead you to respond in the ways that the text is asking. There are two parts to the sermon. So two questions. If you're taking notes, here's the first big, big question of the sermon. What leads Mary to gigantic joy? That's what I want to show you from 39 to 56. What leads Mary to gigantic joy? Open it up. We heard Justin read some of this to us. And notice that in verse 39, Mary is headed with haste to the hill country. Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. Now, why in the world would Mary be hustling for three straight days to get there? The answer is in last week's passage. Just glance at verse 35 to remember why she is hustling to Elizabeth's house. The answer is that Gabriel went to Mary and said, you are going to become pregnant with none other than the Son of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you will give birth to Jesus. And my guess is, after Gabriel left, Mary thought, I must be out of my ever-loving mind. And who am I going to tell that I had this vision to? Because they're going to throw me in the quack shack. But then Mary goes, well, I do think Gabriel told me this. And there was a promise. Look at verse 36. Here's the proof. Hey, Mary, the proof that you can believe you're pregnant with the Son of God is that your relative... I'm guessing Aunt Elizabeth. She's old and she's pregnant too. She's actually six months along. So here's the way I'm imagining Mary thinks it. She goes, okay, I'm probably out of my mind, but just in case I'm not, I'm going to get over to Elizabeth's house because if she is six months pregnant at her age, then maybe this Gabriel promise is legitimate. So she goes. And she's hustling. She's demonstrating faith, faith enough to go check out the promises of God. Verse 40, she arrives and enters into Elizabeth's house. Verse 41, look who's doing backflips in the tummy. None other than the coming John the Baptist, who somehow in utero senses the presence of divine God in Mary's womb and starts doing jumping jacks. And Elizabeth she has a jet chip wasp moment. Look what she does. 42. She just erupts. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. In 43 to 45, Elizabeth actually offers Mary a triple blessing. If you want to get technical, blesses her 42 among women. Blesses her also 42 Blesses Mary's baby. Then the third blessing in 45, Mary's faith is blessed. And Elizabeth just seems overcome with emotion, wanting Mary to know, hey, lady, you are one blessed woman. All of a sudden, it seems like this excitement is contagious then because it goes from Elizabeth over to Mary, and look what Mary does in verse 46, 
all the way down to 55, notice that our authors have put this text into a different look. It's because this would be poetry. It's formatted different because it's like a song. I like to think of this as perhaps the first Christmas carol of all time as Mary erupts following Elizabeth and she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, maybe you're here thinking to yourself, I just don't know, I don't understand the growing excitement, Pastor. I hear you excited, but I just, I don't see it here in the text. And maybe you're not appreciating Elizabeth and Mary's response. It might be because you don't understand what is at stake for Israel. See, like the Chiefs facing third and 15 in Super Bowl 54, the game is on the line. And Anybody who's rooting for the Chiefs knows, man, we've got to convert this play. It feels like do or die. And that's, in a very smaller way, what was going on for Elizabeth and Mary. So you've got to understand context. It had been 2,000 years since Abraham had lived as an, the father of Israel. It had been 1,500 years since Moses, 1,000 years since David Elizabeth and Mary would have known it had been 400 years since God had spoken through any prophet. God had said nothing for 400 years. I mean, I heard a lot of Chiefs fans complaining about 50 years since you won a Super Bowl. It's been so long since we won a Super Bowl, 50 years. And I'm, okay, 50 years is 50 years. But try 400. And that's where they're at. Going, man, what hope do we have? And if you think about Israelites' history, the kings had failed Israel. The prophets' warnings had failed in bringing revival. The people of God had failed in obedience. And their entire nation was under Roman occupation. They are losing the game, and they are losing the game bad. Frankly, there's no hope. I mean, we're as good as put a fork in us. And yet, here in the first Christmas carol from Mary, we see hope is ignited. And all of a sudden, there is a spark and there is a momentum shift as she begins to say, Aha, something is different today. Mary has heard from God, Mary is believing the promises of God, and she is poetically. And with gigantic joy, celebrating how holy and merciful God is. How God would pick a humble woman and bless her is unbelievable. And Mary's song reveals what God is doing. He's, he's keeping his promise to Israel and to Abraham. Now keep in mind, Mary's not saying every promise has been completed. Mary's not pretending that the end of all known living civilization is at the end and, and that Israel has won the Super Bowl and it's all over. No, she knows there's still much to come. But in this jet chip wasp moment, Mary sees Elizabeth is really pregnant, which leads Mary to realize, and I'm really going to give birth to the Savior of the world. 
And if those promises are true, as far as Mary's concerned, then every other promise of God in the Bible, it's coming true too, baby. It's just a waiting game. But we are going to win the game. For Mary, this changes everything, which is why she's bursting with gigantic joy. And that's what's going on in the text in the first section. Mary is seeing small fulfillments of God's promises, and that leads her to just respond with joy. That's the answer to our question. If you're taking notes, what leads Mary to gigantic joy? Seeing the smallest fulfillment of God's promises. That's what leads her to gigantic joy. So with this in mind, that's how it works for Mary. Let, let me try to connect it to us today. For us here, what this scripture is inviting us to do is to consider how we see God keeping promises and in any way that we see God keeping a promise, even if it's a small one, it ought to have us having a moment where we say, oh, yeah, God, man, you're doing it. And it's just a matter of time. I'm watching God fulfill promises, so I know he's going to win the game. Game's not over, but he's going to win. But here's the problem, right? Too many of us, we, we don't see when God's fulfilling promises. I mean, we see them, and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 but we just kind of move on. We overlook them. I mean, we either ignore them or we overlook them. But, but that would be as bizarre as going back to Super Bowl 54 and the little watch party wherever you were at and, and, and watching that play happen and then everybody who's a Chiefs fan just sitting on the couch and yawning. I mean, if you did that, God bless you. You are the most bizarre fan I've ever heard of in my life. I don't even like the Chiefs and I started to have a, have a mild heart attack with how excited it was. The disconnect for us is there are jet chip wasp moments in my life and there are jet chip wasp moments in your life and we yawn and have another drink of Coke. And instead, what our text is calling us to do is just take a breath and then just realize what happens and then just let joy come over you as if you're watching this incredible moment, which it is, and then just burst out in joy with God. God is keeping his promises, and there are ways that we are getting to witness God keeping his promises. Elizabeth and Mary aren't the only people who get to see God keeping promises. Church, we are getting to see it too. Maybe it's a really small one. Maybe it's a really big one. I don't care. But when the momentum shifts and you see it, would you please respond with gigantic joy? Okay, pastor, but, but like where in my life, pastor, is God actually fulfilling promises? I mean, pastor, tell me even one way that I can see God keeping a promise to me right now. So I don't know all your personal stories. I don't know all the ways God might be keeping a promise to you right now. But if you genuinely don't know, I would encourage you to consider, has he kept a promise to you personally is he keeping a promise to you in your marriage or with your kids 
or your family, your friends, your work. And you're going to have to do some work on your own to determine how is God keeping his promises to you. But allow me to share at least one way God is keeping his promises here at Mill Creek. I'm not saying Mill Creek's the only church God's keeping promises to, but I can say without a doubt, some of what Mary is celebrating in her song, we are seeing with our own eyes here. Here's the best example I have as I cooked on this. Church, God is having mercy on Mill Creekers who have humbled themselves. And that is straight out of Mary's song. Look at verse 48 and verse 50 as Mary is singing about how God gives mercy to the humble. He does. And we are getting to see it here. We are seeing it with our own eyes. We are hearing it with our own ears. Have you heard the recent baptismal testimonies that are given over here before the people get in the water and obey Jesus? Time doesn't permit me to read every one of those back, but if you're a Mill Creeker and you don't know what I'm talking about, you have got to go hit our live stream and you have got to go watch some of these baptism interviews, or excuse me, baptism testimonies, because they are fire. In fact, I kind of wonder if in the future, whenever a person gives a baptism testimony, if we don't need to respond like that was two, three jet chip wasps that just happened. Shoot, anybody can run two, three jet chip wasp. You know who can make people come to life when they are spiritually dead? Only God does that. Austin Brown, Leah Blom, Sam Mullen got up here, poured their guts out in a baptism testimony, and it was incredible. Many more, including Grace Richardson, Anna Arnold, Evan Johnson, Gavin Welch, Lila Brandenburg, Madeline Blom, Josh and Caitlin Bonfield were sitting right over here. They have just shared, hey, I was spiritually dead and I had no chance to be saved and God has brought me salvation. Man, bless you, Lord. Nobody can do that. And friends, most of these folks are teenagers. It's miraculous. And God is having mercy on people who are humbling themselves. You can hear the humility. You can see God's mercy and salvation. God has promised to save in the text. He has promised to save in Mary's song. And he is doing it. God chose humble Mary. God is choosing some folks in our church today. And as a result... Those who have professed faith in Christ are going to be exalted. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ is a promise from Romans 8. Yes, in our text, Mary is the humble one, and that's this connection then that I'm encouraging us to see God fulfilling small promises. But ultimately, it's not Mary's humility that saves us. It is Jesus' humility that saves us. Understand the gospel connection here in this first point. It's because Jesus was born in a humble manger to a humble family and he lived in a humble town and lived a humble life ultimately led him to a humiliating cross. But because he humbled himself and became obedient to death, we are invited to be saved and exalted because of him. 
if, if you're here and you don't know Christ, if you're here, you don't know Christ, and you think you can save yourself by the power of the Spirit and the authority of God's Word, I'm calling you, humble yourself right now. Oh, Spirit, do your work. Get on your knees before God and say, I cannot save myself, and ask the humble Savior to save you. He will. Point one, done. Seeing even the smallest fulfillment of God's promises should lead us to gigantic joy. Let's move to point two, what leads Zechariah to burst with blessing. Spoiler alert, Zechariah is going to have a similar-like response to Mary, but his purposes and his reasons are a little bit different. So get back with me in the text in verse 57. We're going to answer the question, what leads Zechariah to burst with blessing? The Mary and Elizabeth scene is done, 57. So we fast forward about three months when Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. Verse 58, notice that you've got a bunch of their neighbors and friends. They're up in the hill country. I guess this is like Appalachia, West Virginia. I don't know. Maybe however they want to do their little party, they're doing it. I'm envisioning like a barbecue party, block party. And everybody's going to have a really great time although John the Baptist is going to end up cranky at the end of it, so there's that. And in this block party, they have to name the child. And so Zechariah, again, he can't talk because he doubted the word of God in the temple as a priest. So he hadn't been able to talk for nine months. And he's got something like a dry erase marker, an ancient version of a dry erase board and marker that he can write on. But initially, they just go to Elizabeth to say, what will the name of the child be, expecting that the child will be named Zechariah after daddy. And Elizabeth says, hmm, it's John. Well, that kind of stirs the crowd up. And they go, well, we're going to double check you, girl. We got to talk to Zechariah himself. So they ask him, and he writes it down. His name is John. And look what happens in verse 64 after he names him John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Here's Zechariah's jet chip wasp moment. You didn't have to look at Zechariah and say, now that the Lord has returned your speech, it would be good to stand up and celebrate him, young man. Zechariah just shows up and blows up and goes, yes, God. A second Christmas carol is here in verses 68 to 79. One in which Zechariah is blessing God for keeping his Old Testament promises. Zechariah blessing God for redeeming Israel. And, and Zechariah celebrating his coming or his son's role in preparing the way for the coming Savior. What this section shows us then, here's the point, is Zechariah transitions from doubting God and not having faith to believing God and trusting him in faith. That's the transition Zechariah makes in this chapter. A priest 
a Levite in the temple doubting the word of God. He can't talk. Nine months later, bursting out in song and blessing God because he believes God's promises. That's the answer to the second question. What leads Zechariah to burst with blessing? Answer, moving from doubt in God's promises to faith in God's promises. And that's what's going on in the text. And here's the connection then for us. When we move from doubt to faith, we ought to burst with blessing. When, when something in your life that God has promised, you ha- when you have doubted that promise, and then later on, you come to have faith in that promise, you ought to be jumping out of your chair and throwing popcorn around the room. Man, we're in the game. I have to calm down before I get to second hour. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I, I think, for many of us, the problem is we're embarrassed to admit when we doubt. We're embarrassed to admit when we doubt, so then when all of a sudden the lights come on for us, well, we're not going to go tell everybody about the lights coming on because we don't want them to know that the lights were off. And I grant that it is embarrassing. I grant it's embarrassing to be a person who's trying to raise your kids to follow Jesus and you, you try to put them in the right places and, and you, you try to do your devotional time and you try to lead them to, to repent the right way and you try to be a good example or maybe you're a life group leader or maybe you're leading a Bible study or people see you at church all the time or you've been here your whole life or people look up to you and think you're oh so spiritual but in your heart of hearts, you know you are struggling with doubt. It's hard to admit that. challenge can be that we are struggling to admit when we're doubting. The other one can be when we actually do find ourselves in faith, we feel stupid that it took us that long to find faith. And I think the devil wins both ways. I mean, the devil wins over here when you're doubting, and especially if you won't tell anybody he's winning because it's keeping you in secret, you're not getting any help. But then when, when the Spirit does turn the lights on, then the devil makes you feel stupid that, that you, you, you didn't come out insta-spiritual giant and you feel bad about it, like you messed up. When in fact, the truth is, if you can admit that you're struggling with doubt, that's actually showing weakness and weakness in the kingdom of God is appropriate. When you are weak, you are strong. And when you see the Lord move you from doubt to faith, it actually gives all the rest of us great encouragement to know, man, the spirit actually does change us. So I want to encourage us, church, to be honest. And, and, and here's the antidote for any of us in here who go, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sharing my doubt. Doubt. The antidote, what, what, what can resolve this for us is just to admit ways that we are doubting God. We got to admit whatever ways we're doubting God. Some of you need to, some of you are like Zechariah and you're struggling to believe the word of the Lord. And the best thing you can do is you can go home and tell your spouse Hey, I need to tell you something that is very vulnerable, so don't make a joke, but listen to my heart. I'm struggling to believe God in this way, and and I want you to know that. And that may be the most powerful thing you can do. Some of you need to tell a spouse, 
Some of you kids may need to tell mom and dad, hey, mom and dad, you may think this, this, and this about me, but here's the facts. This is where I'm struggling. Some of you need to tell a friend. Some of you life group leaders need to tell somebody in your life group. I don't know who all you need to tell, but you need to tell somebody if you're struggling with doubt. And if you're thinking, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know, Pastor. I would want you to know how encouraging it is when folks are actually honest. I know when your team's winning, it can be really fun to show up at church on Sunday and you've got beautiful music and we've got a lot of fun things going on. And so we smile and we're eating a donut and we're having a cup of coffee and we say, how are you? And man, I'm great. How are you? When in the truth of the situation is you're actually really having a hard time and you're struggling with doubt. Man, this is exactly the place you should be able to tell people what's going on in your heart. For sure, you got to tell God, right? And look, if you go home and you say, hey, God, I'm really struggling to believe one of your promises. I promise you God's response isn't going to be, oh, really? Oh, you're struggling with doubt? I didn't know that. Oh, no. Of course God knows already. God knows and he's giving patience to you. He's giving time and he's giving you a pathway to process. For look at the pathway that Zechariah got. He is a priest in the temple doubting God and God gives him nine months of runway to kind of do business and to see his faith grow, which would have been so encouraging to Theophilus. This Gentile who wondered, is there space for me at the table? Being that I'm born of the wrong race, and in ways that Theophilus might be doubting, here's an example of Zechariah. Honest enough to admit it, seeing his faith grow. Friend, anyone here who's a Christian is walking by faith, which by definition is believing in something we don't see. So don't be surprised when there's moments where you go, I don't know if I believe this. And then when God matures our faith and we do then have great trust in what God has promised, let's celebrate it. I mean, anybody in here ever doubted anything of the Lord? Man, I have. But by God's grace, he's been faithful. And he's patient. Man, all of us were blind, but now we see. All of us have struggled with doubt. And so for any of us who can say, Lord, I am trusting you now, more than ever, I'm trusting you with my eternal salvation more than ever. I'm trusting you with my marriage more than ever. I'm trusting you with my kids more than ever. I'm trusting you with this job situation more than ever. I'm trusting you with my neighbor's salvation more than ever. I'm trusting you with fill in the blank, whatever. For anybody who's seen their faith grow, you ought to be bursting with blessing. But thank you, God, for your patience and for what you're doing. Here's the gospel connection for this second point. Christ came at the first advent, and he is coming again. And one day, our faith will be sight. And on that day, we will get to be in eternity with Christ because he was perfectly faithful. Because he really did come as a baby. 
and he really did live the perfect life. He died. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he was resurrected. He really ascended to the right hand of God. He really right now is reigning next to God Almighty at the right hand of the throne of God. He really is interceding for us. And even right now in your doubt, he is interceding for you. He knows what you need. And he knows where your heart is aching. And he is praying for you. And when Jesus prays, I trust those prayers get answered. And when they do, let's burst in blessing for God. If you see doubt dissolve, and you see faith grow, you ought to lose your ever-loving mind. At least as much as it happened at 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp in Super Bowl 54. I mean, for those of you who saw that play happen and Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and you went, yippee, go Chiefs. Well, then I'm going to give you a pass if that's all you do when you see your doubt turn to faith. That's fine. Just yippee, go God. (laughs) But for the rest of y'all, who I know were jumping out your chair, might have taken your shirt off and thrown it around like a helicopter for a while because you were so excited, why then I'm encouraging you to Lose your ever-loving mind for God. And this is Advent. And it's a time to get excited about a lot of great songs, some great football. Kids get excited about presents, but more than anything. And respond with gigantic joy when you see God's promises fulfilled. And when you move from doubt to belief, burst with blessing. Pray with me, please. God, we bless you for saving us. You promised that in the Old Testament, and you kept that promise. We bless you for telling us that we're sinners. We bless you for revealing forgiveness and salvation. We we bless you for taking us from a place where we lived in darkness under the shadow of death and bringing us to a place of peace. We bless you for Jesus Christ and his first advent, and we bless you as we look forward to Jesus' second advent. We bless you because your promises are as good as true. The momentum has shifted. You're going to win, and we can't wait to celebrate that once and for all victory. Give us great joy when we see promises fulfilled and move our doubting hearts to faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.